Hello, this is Jerry from Anxious Minds Radio. Today I've got Devajit Kaur here, who's a Kundalini yoga teacher and a good friend of mine as well. And we're going to be talking, the topic we're discussing today is around children and mental health. So we're going to be talking about how we can support children in society, in our communities, and how we can we can work together to do that. Hello, Dev. Hello. How's it going? Um, so yeah, if so, you sort of, you teach yoga. You also kind of um, on the path of doing like teacher trainings, and you do lots of different workshops and, and classes and retreats. And I just wanted really to get your point of view because I know that you do work with with children as well and mental health, and what your point of view is around where we're at in society at the moment and what we need to do to move forward. Yeah, I think this is a really interesting topic and something that we need as a community uh, we need to be talking more openly about, particularly, you know, around mental health and the stigma attached around mental health. But also, you know, children who, a lot more children are struggling with mental health issues now. And, you know, children and teenagers and young people with depression and anxiety um more particularly and um you know why is that you know that something's what's happening for for children to be experiencing those kind of things and if you look at the likes of um the children children's young people young people service and and the likes of sips calms uh, mental health services for children is is really struggling and the waiting lists are like, you know, up like eight, nine months for the for a child to even see a psychologist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of children are going through things that get undiagnosed or um, it's not getting picked up. I mean, schools, a lot of schools have counsellors in these mm-hmm. days and that kind of just uh, demonstrates how, how much that's needed because children are under so much stress and not able to cope with their own emotions. So I think that um, we need to look at, as a society and as a community, we need to look at what we can all do and what what's what's going on, what we can do to support children so that they don't have to feel like that. Um, and where do you think where do you think this is this is coming from? So obviously there's always been there's always been children or young young people with mental health issues do you think it's just because there's more of an awareness of it there's more children young people able to speak out or because there's things like social media platforms and the like where you can kind of sort of get that that community why would you say there seems to be more of a of an uprise in that at the moment I think that um I think there's so many different reasons and this is quite a, a complicated and complex subject but I think you know partly to do with like um, the internet and children being bombarded with information and mm-hmm. social media and that comes with a lot of pressure I think you know a lot I think it's a lot to do with like you know the kind of popular role models that children have these days and um, it's kind of portrayed to be um, you know, like role models for children, the likes of, you know, these reality people and like like the Kardashians and stuff like that, which, 
I mean, as far as I'm concerned, don't really have much substance, but, um, you know, kids kind of aspire to be like that. And I think it's like people put, put you know, media puts these, puts like reality TV stars on, on a pedestal and then people or children kind of like compare themselves to like, I need to look like that to be, you know, to find self-worth or to be accepted or to be like liked by boys or... Um, you know, people are not like people are not like as if I'm myself, basically. So I think that like creates a lot of pressure on on young people. Um, and also, I think uh, I suppose I mean our like our children. We've got to look at like how busy parents' lives are, you know, mm. and to kind of survive in this society. You know, people work a lot, and you know it's you know it's great to have a, like a strong work ethic, but uh, to what extent does you know if both parents are working and you know to have an income and stuff like that, but to what extent is the child's emotional needs going unmet because parents are so busy with work and stuff like that? Um. So yeah, it, I think that's you know something that that comes into it. Um. I think yeah, a lot to do with like peer pressure. There's so much. I think there's quite a lot of pressure on young people to like grow up really quickly mm. these days. Um. You know, and children just like can't just be children anymore. Like, um, and there's always that kind of that constant pressure to like want to grow up or to act older and. Um, I think a lot of the time as well, parents make the mistake of um, trying to be the the child's friend mm. rather than, yeah. um, you know, like the, the kind of blur that boundary. And I understand where it comes from because I think a lot of parents might feel insecure and want to be liked by the child. Therefore, they're, um, like, they're, not, they're not able to maintain strong boundaries and offer that, like, the, the guidance. Um, the children need sometimes because they don't want to be seen as the bad guy and they give in to children but by not maintaining strong boundaries and guidance a child l- learns that they don't have any boundaries so they're just going to continually push and they're, they're going to get involved in risk-taking taking behaviours um, and and that can sometimes spiral out of control and then I suppose once you're if once you hit puberty and you're already kind of rebelling and um, getting involved in kind of, you know, as a teenager, it's natural to start to experiment and push the boundaries and things like that. But I suppose that's if you're not doing that in a safe way or if you've been allowed too much kind of, if you've been allowed to do too much, then that can result in, you know, dangerous things happening or... And then you've got to process that kind of... Then a child or a young person's got to process the trauma that comes with um, getting themselves involved in something that's mm. that's harmful. So I mean, that's a few few things off the top of my head. But yeah, and I mean, you touched on you touched on social media and obviously the impact of that. The sort of role models, unrealistic role models that that children have, and I think in the media lately, there's also been a lot about sort of 
that there's not really any filters on social media. So, you know, graphic images of self-harm, for example, and children sort of, children or young adults imitating that or wanting to, to do that because they've seen it on a, on a post on Facebook. So it's, it's, yeah, I guess it's, again, down to, as parents, how do you set those boundaries around social media use around what what children and young adults are able to access and and what they're not it must be so hard for parents these days to be able to manage that and because that all that information is so like freely you know accessible for for children and young people and now if you know if you don't have facebook or instagram or whatever you know children might be seen as like the odd ones out and so that kind of puts mm. pressure on parents to allow the children to have social media, not to mention all the dangers that do come with social media. And what we've got to remember, generally children are quite naive and trusting. So, um, you know, it's the easy targets for perpetrators online, basically. Mm. So if that kind of stuff isn't being monitored, then, you know, again, a child's vulnerable to to something risky happening. Mm. But... Um, uh, yeah, it's got to be so like it's got to be so difficult for parents to manage that, but I suppose. Um, I suppose it's about like building the, the trusting, an open relationship with your with your children so that you can that you can have discussions around these things when it comes to a time where the child might be accessing social media that they can have conversations because I feel sometimes parents might shy away from having these conversations because it might be awkward or it might be uncomfortable or it's something that you don't want to face but then if if the child feels like they're they're openly able to talk about what they're going through it creates that that trust and that connection between between the parents and and the child yeah, for sure. Yeah, and that's kind of like the aspects of of where, you know, sort of touching upon where this where this comes from. How do you think, you know, it's such a huge topic and I, I remember being a teenager and I can safely say that it was it was the most challenging time of my life. And I think sometimes as adults we forget, we forget mm-hmm. how hard it is to be, you know, to be going through puberty, to be in that hormonal phase, you're getting everything thrown at you. And then as a young adult, being independent for the first time on your own. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's so many people out there not necessarily getting the, the support that you need. What would you say would be sort of tools or kind of like, things that people who maybe aren't necessarily getting the support that they need at home that they could get access to or that they could self-source? Yeah, so, I mean, I mean, schools are really... I think there's. I think schools invest a lot into, um, you know, making sure that there's somebody there for children to talk to um, these days. And, you know, there's... I mean, the internet can be, you know, really positive as well, where children can access tools online um, to support them through anything that they need to. Um, I mean obviously the type of practices that that I that I you know practice personally and always um, you know encourage other people to to try and to integrate into their everyday life is yoga and meditation because I know how powerful it is in supporting people and staying balanced um, and you know and and that kind of thing, you can Google that in your local area and and find, you know, 
a, a yoga class or a meditation class, but I believe that that schools are starting to integrate those things into the mm. into the school environment as well. And a lot of schools are doing like um, after school yoga, and you know, mindfulness is another great one. So those things are there, and you know, they are tried tried and tested to work. So um, they're becoming more accessible for young people. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because I when I was when I was at school or when I was sort of like at that age I don't remember ever even hearing about yoga and meditation it wasn't even something that was in my awareness mm-hmm. until I was at least in my early 20s I think and um yeah just I think it might be interesting also to sort of understand how we can get children or young adults even interested in those practices because I can imagine sort of imagining what I was like when I was a teenager I might be like oh well you know that's a bit like boring or why would I just want to like go and sit in silence or like what are the ways that you think that we could make these types of practices more accessible for children or young adults? Yeah I think like I think with these type of things is it's about trying it and experiencing it for yourself and then when you've experienced how good it makes you feel then it kind of encourages you to want to do more. Mm. So I think if you know if schools get on board with um, bringing in meditation teachers or mindfulness teachers or yoga teachers to give the child an experience of that then um, and then they're going to feel feel the benefits of it and want to continue that but I think it's also really good for parents to um if you know I'm talking about role models um I mean children the biggest role models the biggest role model for children is the parents children are gonna you know copy Mm. of the parents and um if if children see the parents doing like a yoga practice or a meditation practice they're naturally going to be curious about that and potentially, mm. you know, going to want to join in. Like a lot of yoga teacher friends that I have or um, students teach students doing teacher training will talk about getting up and doing their yoga practice on a morning and their children coming in and just sitting sitting by them mm. or joining in on the meditation. Like, And it's, it's really lovely to hear, actually, because, I mean, there's so much beautiful Kundalini music out there and you know some of the teachers that we've got coming up in the northeast have spoke about their children playing the man the kundalini mantras or doing the kundalini meditations in the car or um mm. and integrating those type of practices into them you know into their daily lives and um and all this is really it's really uplifting it's it's elevating and i mean a lot of the there is kundalini yoga for children you know for this reason um, to support children in their development and in their mental health and well-being. Um, and, you know, it's like really simple practices and you can Google these and it's a, it's such a really great thing to do with your child and it's really bonding as well and mm. it's, lo- it's lovely to do it together. But, so, you know, some of the... Um, and it's, it's really simple, but some of the practices is like, you know, sitting and chanting together... There's like a, um, what we call a celestial communication where you sing or chant and then you do like you do arm movements. Mm-hmm. So there's one that's um, like it's it kind of goes like this. So it's like I am happy, I am good, I am happy, I am good. And so you know a child repeating these kind of things mm-hmm. is gonna you know they're gonna start to internalize I am happy, I am good, because what you've got to remember is children 
generally a lot of the time they're internalizing a lot of negativity so mm. you know if um if they do something wrong if they feel ashamed if they feel embarrassed you know children don't understand like the bigger picture and the, the they're likely to just kind of internalize this feeling of oh i'm not good enough um i'm bad and that's going to start to feed into their um blueprint of like their their internal work and model so how they start to build up an understanding of the world um every ex- what you've got to realize is that every experience that a child is having they're like a little sponge and everything is having an impact on them so they're absorbing mm. information from the world from the parents behaviors from the from the television you know they're constantly receiving information to understand this you know this is what the world is like so a child who experiences trauma is going to you know potentially that's going to feed into their understanding of the world that the world is a dark place the world is a dangerous place and a scary place so you know so i'm going to stay withdrawn mm-hmm. you know where i can't be seen and then i won't get hurt and it comes back to um to like attachment theory and stuff as well so um if you so children it depends on the type of parent and the children of um have received as well so well i think it's something like i can't remember the exact number but i think it's something there's quite a high percentage of of children who you know are adults who have got issues with attachment mm. so as a child we develop i we, we can either develop like a secure attachment where our parents have been like very attentive to our needs very secure in the parent and we felt very secure as children you know we can go off and have experiences and then come back to our base the main caregiver and we feel safe which then we can go off and explore a little bit more but there's sometimes so children whose parents haven't because they've had their own you know stuff going on whether that be um they've got their own needs which you see this all the time like you know if you haven't if you're not meeting your own needs you're not in a position to meet anybody else's mm. needs so it's really important you know i think it's really important for people to be able to meet you know get to a really stable place um i mean if you if you've got children to be able to kind of like you've got to be able to meet your own needs otherwise their needs are going to get mm. um side sidetracked really but if um but if it's so if a parent isn't able to meet their child's needs um consistently then that child's going to start to internalize that and you either see a child with kind of like anxious attachment so they don't know or disorganized attachment so um so they don't know how or when they're going to get the needs met so some children might feel really anxious and cry um and but some children kind of learn that even if i cry a parent's not going to come and mm. um soothe or yeah. come and you know hold us um and so sometimes, in, you know, in that situation, a child might start to internalise uh, my needs and, you know, I'm not good enough to have mm. my needs met. Um, and children start to internalise that. And so, you know, a, one of the worst case scenarios is that a child just stops crying altogether because mm. they just they internalise that nobody's going to help yeah. me. Yeah. So you've, it's really, you know, it's really important that people are constantly mindful about the types of messages the children are picking up mm. and um you know like like um contact you know like touch like 
is a really kind of nice way of um, communicating to a young person or a child, you know, in a sensitive way um, that, you know, like the cared for eye contact is a really good one. That you know, kind of gives the message that, you know, you are, you are good enough mm-hmm. and things like that. So there's all these little, just, you know, a lot of it's very subtle. Um, but yeah, talking about like, you know, role models and things like that, like, you know, if you can become if you become the kind of, you know, best person you can be and, you know, living in your high consciousness and in line with your with your full potential, then then, you know, as a parent and if you can live kind of like in line with with virtues and and things like um like, you know, being kind and compassionate to other human beings mm. and um you know, keeping your heart open and um, and if you can, if you can role model to your child how you can process your own emotions, how you can care for your own needs and nurture mm. yourself, and then that child's going to see you do that, and then they're going to start to learn that from themselves. So I definitely think as like parents or relatives or you know even as community, it's um, we all have a re- like a responsibility to our children as a whole and. By doing that for ourselves, we're acting as good role models to children. Mm. Yeah, and we're doing especially because, you know, with a lot with a lot of children, a young adults are experiencing mental health issues. I would say a lot of the time there isn't sort of stable caregivers around. So that's why it's important as well as a as a community as a whole for for us to step in and, and provide those those positive role models and I think it was really interesting when you were talking about attachment theory because that then carries on into adulthood and actually for me learning about attachment theory and my style of attachment and where that came from was one of the things that saved my life actually and was one of the things that enabled me to get into healthy relationships because without having that awareness I was just sort of stuck in that you know anxious sort of child who didn't get their needs met and I wasn't able to Mm self-soothe so then as an adult understanding that and learning how to self-soothe and learning that I could meet my own needs as well was really was really powerful empowering Mm -hmm. process yeah absolutely and you know you've got to find what's what's going to do that for you like for me it's been kundalini yoga um, and I know for a lot of you know my students, that's that supported them on that path, and it, you know it's the yoga of awareness. So and obviously you know this, so it helps you to you know become more aware of mm. those patterns and habits. But there's so many spiritual practices or you know different tools that that are out there, and I would really encourage people to go out and experiment with different things and um, find what resonates with you that's going to support mm. you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just having that kind of. Yeah, the self, the self sourcing, and and the ability to sort of get out of your comfort zone and look at different different options and different things you can try. I suppose that's sort of the the best case scenario if you're in that situation where you're able to even begin that path. What would you say to someone who's in a situation where, for example, their anxiety is severe and they're not able to leave the house, or where it's kind of yeah, it's a it's a situation or sort of an environment where it's very difficult to to go out and seek that support that you might need. Yeah, so um, I think as a you know as a start, the internet can be a, you know a great thing as well, and 
you know, there's different things that you can access online that would help you. But I think in this kind of situation, I think like CBT would help, which mm. is cognitive behavioral therapy, which is about kind of like changing your thought patterns. So mm. when you come in, when you feel anxious, um, you know, you can start to feed yourself with positive self-talk, mm. making yourself feel safe. Yeah. Um, and I think that really helps. I mean, a daily meditation practice, I can't recommend it enough mm. because what meditation does is it relaxes... Well, I mean, one of the things it does is it kind of it relaxes your mind and it allows the stress... I mean, anxiety is, you know, too much stress in your body um, triggered by whatever your thought patterns are. And you can really... If you can learn to come back to the breath, like breathing deeply, like we practice this in the yoga... Um, Practicing long, slow, deep breathing, really calm. It's really calm and it's really relaxing. And it gives you that space just to come back to the present moment and just breathe. Honestly, the breath is so powerful. If you learn how to develop the relationship with your breath mm. and breathing deeply, coming back to the present moment and whatever you need to do, just continue with that breath because what the breath is working on your nervous system. Mm. So when you're feeling anxiety, it's it's you know your um it's you know the brain is the um amygdala. The amygdala, yeah. Amygdala. Yeah. <laughs> so it's the amygdala um that's been triggered the flight or flight the fight or flight response. So that's what's been triggered due to a past experience, maybe. So I don't know. If, you know, if this maybe is a traumatic experience mm. or um so the brain's kinda like being triggered, thinking, you know, do I need to run, do I need to um do I freeze, like what do I need to do in this situation? So it and it, it again it's coming back to self awareness. Am I am I really in danger or is mm. this my imagination? You know, I think I mean from personal experience when I feel an, when I've felt anxious it's generally because my imagination's like, mm. you know, gone off oh on God. a tangent and yeah. then I've tied anxious feelings into where the mind's going. So it's very much about, we practice this in Kundalini Yoga, becoming the master of the mind, not allowing your mind to just kind of like go off in all directions and, um, and get you all worked up. Mm. You know, it's about becoming the master of the mind and coming back to the present moment, using tools like the breath, like meditation and um and then dealing with reality which you know 95 percent of the time is in you know you probably are safe in the present moment mm. and able to relax but can you control your thoughts can you start to relax into the present moment um but and I know and I've and I've experienced this myself because I have experienced anxiety before and I mean for for me, Kundalini Yoga has been, you know, tremendously helpful in in processing that because mm. what Kundalini does is it it massively strengthens the nervous system mm. and that's what you need to do if you're experiencing a lot of anxiety is strengthen the nervous system. So, and there's different Kundalini Yoga practices. You can, I mean, put it into Google. It'll bring different meditations up. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's, like, one of the key things you need to do. But... What I'd done when I was experiencing a lot of anxiety, and if I'm being totally honest, I mean, lots of people have different experiences, but, uh, I mean, for me, it wasn't really an option going to um, going to the doctors and being prescribed medication. Not that, you know, each each person to, the, to their own, and if that's something that you feel 
you feel is right for you, then absolutely fair enough. But how I felt was I need to get to the bottom of what's going on, mm. and what's the root of this, and how can I, you know, how can I process it, um, rather than kind of like, you know, for me, covering up, like, if I was to take medication, it would just be kind of like um, putting... Like plaster, plaster over, a, over yeah. a wound kind yeah. of thing but um but what I what I actually done was I I went this is like probably <laughs> totally out off the wall but I went I went to live in Brazil and um and I put myself in a lot of situations that was extremely anxiety provoking mm. so I went um so I mean for me I felt really anxious in enclosed places um so I would, I would, so I would be on the tube all the mm. time, and I would have to sit with that kind, with that feeling of doom, and it was horrendous. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, like it was to the point of like, I mean, if you've ex- if you've had like a panic attack before, you'll understand. But that kind of feeling of um, feeling of doom, then you have to incorporate incorporate your practices. So breathing deeply through the feelings you know the positive self-talk nothing's going to happen I'm safe um, and when you start to really challenge those I mean I went up to the um, Christoph in Rio and Rio went up mm. to the Christoph yeah. and I'm like petrified of heights mm. <laughs> so it's I like immersion immersion totally, into your yeah. fears and I felt you know if I was with a group of people I probably wouldn't have um, I probably wouldn't have been able to do mm. it but I felt because I was doing it in like me alone you know, it was very. I felt more in control mm. of it, even though I was putting myself in these kind of like what what felt like terrifying experiences. I still felt in control of those experiences mm. because if my mind was telling us, you know, escape, or like get away for the the fight of fight or flight mode mm. was saying, if I needed to do a flight, <laughs> then um, then I was kind of still in control of being able to have that option, mm. but still exposing myself to these kind of situations where. Yeah. I could really work through that stuff and that's what it is I mean and now I look back on it and at the time you know I, I like hated it I was like I'm so mm. like angry like that I've that I'm that this is I've got a deal like I've got this ang- this situation and it's you know it's awful and I don't want to be I don't want to live like this I don't it's like you know you literally feel like shackled by your emotions mm. because and you know, a lot of me time, like a lot of me energy was spent trying to control my environment because, um, because of the, you know, trying to like, uh, like fathom out, you know, how the day would go because I needed like pockets of safety where mm. I w- wasn't going to have to like, you know, breathe through the anxiety and stuff yeah. like that. It, it, and I totally get how it can, it can encompass your life. But, you know, what I can tell you is because I've lived it, that it doesn't have to be like that mm. and you know reach out to people who have experienced it and who who can you know show you like different ways or show you like what's worked for them so that you know so that you can try it as well um but i mean looking back even though it was it was awful at the time like th- that's been you know it's been such a gift because what it's given us is a whole new different perspective on life and on myself um, and the relationship that I have with myself and the relationship that I have with something that's, you know, so much more profound and infinite than like our finite being. It's brought, it's given us my spiritual practice, you know, Kundalini Yoga, which is like something that I absolutely live and breathe and 
can't imagine my life without. Um, so the essence of the going through the, going through that experience, mm-hmm. although it was difficult, it's been like you know it's been like the the buried treasure really. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming in today and sharing all of that with us. It's been a great discussion. And um, where's the best place for people to find you if they're interested in in coming along to one of your classes or events that you hold? Yeah. Um, so me, you can, if you Google Kundalini Yoga Newcastle, um, you'll find the website and yeah, just drop us an email if um, anybody's interested and that's great. Great, thank you so much. You've been listening to Jerry and Dev at Anxious Minds Radio, making it okay not to be okay. <laughs>